As I said, the text for this morning's service is John 13, the verses 1 through 17, as we just read together. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 51 to stanzas 1 and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, last words are important. When you are lying on your deathbed, having your loved ones around you, and knowing that you have very little time left, then you want to make your words count. At such times, you will want to pass on those words that will make a lasting impression upon them. In a certain sense, the Lord Jesus also is lying on his deathbed. He knows that his days on earth and the flesh are almost at an end. There are only a few precious moments left with his loved ones, with his disciples. He still has one very important message left to tell them, to impress upon them. He never wants them to forget it. It is a matter of life and death, and he must make sure that that message registers. And that he does. He gives them a message of life, of true life, of eternal life. And he does that in a most meaningful and unforgettable way. It is a very important message for his disciples and also for you and me today. If you also learn the lesson that he taught then the words of the Lord Jesus in verse 17 will also apply to you and me. He says there, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Only if you learn the lesson the Lord Jesus teaches will you be truly blessed in this life and in the life hereafter. The theme is as follows. The Lord Jesus teaches us to wash each other's feet. And in so doing, he teaches us about humility in the first place and holiness in the second place and happiness in the third place. As I said, in chapter 13, we are confronted with the farewell message of the Lord Jesus to his disciples. It is the last evening before his betrayal and death. The Lord Jesus knows what awaits them. For it says in verse 1 of this chapter, Jesus knew that the time had come for him. This is only the second time that it is mentioned, and that only a few days prior. For just after his triumphal entry, as we read in chapter 12, verse 23, the Lord Jesus himself said the same thing. Prior to that, however, we read time and again that the hour time had not yet come. For example, at the wedding feast in Cana, just after he fed the 5,000. At that point, the, in his ministry, the time had not yet come. But now, the hour, the time for him had come. The time for what? Well, for the Son of Man to be glorified, as he says later in chapter 17, for the hour for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, as he says right here in this chapter. He himself chose the hour 
so that he could be in control, for he is in control of his own destiny, and he is also in control of the destiny of all men. He knew that he had accomplished everything that he wanted to accomplish, for he had a very definite purpose here on earth. And do you know what that purpose was? As he said earlier in his ministry, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve, and he came to teach those who belong to him also to be servants. And so what happens here with the foot washing incident is very important. For now he illustrates that service in an unforgettable way. What we have here is clearly an eyewitness account. John himself was there. For that reason, he is able to give us all kinds of details to help us get a clear picture of what took place exactly. We know that the Lord Jesus and disciples had come from Bethany. Their feet, covered only by sandals, had become dirty because of the dusty roads that he had to travel on. The rest of their bodies were was clean. For no doubt, before they took to the road, they will have washed themselves first. For in Bethany, they were among friends who will have done everything to make the Lord Jesus and his disciples comfortable. Now, it was not customary in those days for people to recline at the table with dirty feet. It was considered poor manners to do so. Normally, such a task would be performed by a servant. The host himself would not be the one who would do this. It was considered to be a lowly task. That is is why, for example, when John the Baptist wanted to express his inferiority to Christ, he said, I am not worthy to untie the sandal of him who comes after me. The untying of the sandal would be done in preparation for the washing of one's feet. It was a lowly task done only by servants, by slaves. And it appears that at the place where the Lord Jesus and his disciples are assembled, that there is no servant present. For that reason, one of them would have to do it. Nobody, however, made a move. After all, who wants to humble himself in that way? Why would you make yourself inferior to others? For just before they sat down to eat, as we know from the Gospel of Luke, they had been arguing amongst themselves about who is the greatest. That was something that occupied their minds instead. They had asked the Lord Jesus who of them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, to us that may seem somewhat childish. Would we do anything like that? Well, you and I are not any different. We think quite highly of ourselves and concentrate it more on our own needs than on the needs of others. Maybe some of you think that you are not that way, that you feel inferior to others, that you don't measure up to others. But, and that may sound strange, but that boils down to the same thing. When you think like that, that you are still concentrating on yourself. You are not thinking about how you can make a difference in another person's life, 
All you are doing is comparing yourself to others and wish that it were different. Also, that is selfishness and self-serving. And that's what we are like by nature. And that is what the disciples were like as well. And therefore, not one of the disciples made a move. Everything was ready in the room. There was a pitcher there and a wash basin, and there was a cloth lying there, a towel. The disciples had already occupied their places around the U-shaped table. The food was on the table, and the meal was about to begin. They knew that they should not begin their meal without washing their feet. But nobody stirred. They all remained in their seats. And that is the moment that the Lord Jesus was, asked, was, was looking for, was waiting for. Now he can go into action. He wanted to have this opportunity to teach them a very important lesson on humility. He rises from the supper table and he lays aside his garments. The plural is used here. The text speaks about garments. He takes off both his flowing outer garment and also his tunic. And the picture that John paints for us here is that the Lord Jesus is standing there as a slave. He is wearing nothing else but a loincloth. And that is also how oriental slaves were dressed. And then he takes the long linen cloth which is lying there and he ties it around his middle so that there is enough towel left at the end with which he could dry the feet of the disciples after washing them with his hands. And so picture that, Lord Jesus. There he stands, the Son of Man, the Son of God, dressed like a slave. He who was enormously rich because of Everything belonging to him and to his father instead has the tools of a slave in his hands, a towel and a basin. And there you have the words Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, pictured in a most revealing way. Paul said about Christ, he being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And that is the lesson of humility he wanted his disciples to learn. That is the picture that he wanted to have them had in their minds later on after Pentecost, when they would reflect on why he came to earth. Then they will remember that Christ made himself a servant. He did so for their sakes and for all who believe. He laid down the riches which he had and he became poor. His poverty was something that he voluntarily took upon himself. He was the Lord over all things and so he had all things in his hands, yet he picked up a towel. There's an Eastern proverb which says, The fuller the ear of grain, the lower it bends. How true of the Lord Jesus, he bends low. He was full of riches, full of majesty and dignity, yet he took on a most menial task. He did so not because he had to, but because he wanted to. A humble person is someone who uses whatever he has been given for the sake of the kingdom of God, and he gives everything over for the sake 
of God. He knows that only God can make him rich. He knows that whatever he does have is God's gift. He did not acquire it because he deserves it, but only because of the Father's great love. And therefore, he is willing to use whatever he does have for the sake of the kingdom. He uses those gifts for the well-being of others. That is what his disciples had to learn. It was a very important lesson. But not only did they have to learn about humility, they also had to learn about holiness. We come to the second point. Peter finds what the Lord Jesus is doing quite objectionable. He does not want the Lord Jesus to humble, him, to humble himself like that. This really disturbs him. Why do you think that disturbs him? Well, it makes him feel guilty. For he sees Christ's humility as something demeaning to Peter himself. Peter thinks of himself as at least somewhat more important than some other men. Certainly more important than a lowly slave. And so by seeing Christ doing what he does, he feels threatened by it. For if he, the Lord Jesus Christ of all people, whom Peter calls his teacher and Lord, performs such an act of servitude, if Christ humbles himself in the way that he does, if that is proper behavior for his Lord and Master, then he should be the one doing what Christ did. If Christ must humble himself, then certainly he must do the same. For he does think of himself as inferior to Christ. And he is not prepared to see the Lord Jesus humble himself like that. It is quite disturbing to him. And that is why Peter rebels against Christ's washing his feet. He does not see himself as a slave. And therefore, he certainly does not see the Lord Jesus that way. But what does Christ say to him? He says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And then Peter very quickly does a turnabout. Peter answers, Lord, just not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And here again, we see how impulsive Peter is. He doesn't think before he speaks. He does not really reflect on what the Lord Jesus is saying. For what is the Lord Jesus really saying here? Well, of course, he is speaking symbolically. And, people had, and Peter had to see the total picture. He had to understand what, true, what the true significance was of the washing of the feet, of the fact that the Lord Jesus humbled himself in this way. For it pointed to the great humiliation that he was about to withstand as he was led to the cross. That was the greatest humiliation that ever took place in the history of the whole world. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, was stripped of everything that he had. His dignity, his majesty, and his greatness to be thrown upon the garbage heap of the world. And there was another important lesson that he had to learn, namely that the physical cleansing of the feet pointed to something much greater, to something much more significant, that it stood for the cleansing through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Lord Jesus points here to the need for spiritual purity, the need for holiness. Feet represent the whole walk of man. If a man's walk in the Lord is clean, if he walks in the ways of the Lord, then he is pure and clean and holy before him. And our walk of life can only be made clean if we are part of Christ. For of ourselves, we are filthy because of our sins. And we need to to be made pure, holy, without spot or wrinkle. Of all people, the disciples who had been brought up in the Old Testament church should understand the symbolism here. They should understand the symbolism of the washing of the feet. For they will have observed such symbolism performed in the temple many times. For before a priest sacrificed an animal on the altar, he first had to wash his hands and his feet. And that is why the temple had a laver, a wash basin. The top of the laver would be full of water, and below it was the base. And then the priest would have to mount the base, he would have to step into it, and then he would have to open up the tap, which would allow the water to flow to the bottom of the, of the laver so that he could wash his feet. And once he had washed his hands and his feet, then he would be ritually clean. Only then could he make the sacrifice. But the washing of his, hand and, of his hands and the feet would be enough. For the feet symbolize the walk of man. Man has to walk in the integrity of the Lord. Once the priest had stepped on to the laver and washed himself, then he would step down again. Then he would again stand on level ground. He is cleansed. And that is what we also sang about a moment ago when we sang from Psalm 26. My foot stands on level ground. In other words, we have just been washed. And there is another reason that only the feet had to be washed. According to Exodus 29, verse 4, before a high priest could be ordained, his whole body first had to be washed. Only then would he be allowed to receive the anointing oil. However, that experience never had to be repeated. After that, all he had to do was wash his hands and his feet as he ministered before the Lord. And Peter had to realize that the same thing would be true for him and his disciples. Through faith, Peter and the disciples had already been made clean. That is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 11. He speaks there about what the Corinthians were like before they believed. Thieves, drunkards, and slanderers. And then Paul says, and that is what you some, some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Through faith, they were made clean and holy. However, in spite of the fact that we have been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we still live in our sins, don't we? For that reason, we still have to go to the Lord Jesus time and again and to beg for the forgiveness of our sins, to pray that the filth that clings to us because of our sins be removed. Time and again, we have to go to that throne of grace. Time and again, we have to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord Jesus said to Peter, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. The word translated part is a word which means participation. It refers to the fact that you share in someone or something. And in order to be saved, you need to share in Christ. To share in him means that his obedience becomes your obedience. His holiness becomes your holiness. You share in him through faith. The Lord Jesus beautifully illustrates that concept further in chapter 15 of John, where he speaks about the vine and the branches. In order to participate in the vine, you must be grafted in like a branch. In verse 3 also states that the disciples are already clean because of the word spoken to them. And then he exhorts them to remain in him. And they do that by continually going back to the vine, to the Father and His Son, for the forgiveness of sins. That is how you become clean, and that is how you remain clean. At this point, Peter did not quite understand the symbolic language of the Lord Jesus. That is why Christ also says to him, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. He speaks there about the time after Pentecost when he will have poured out his Holy Spirit. Then Peter and the rest of his disciples will remember every important detail of the words that Christ spoke and of the things that he did. In verse 17 he says, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The word blessed could also be translated as happy. And happiness can only be found in relationships. We come to the third point. The Lord Jesus first refers to happiness in our relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And But such a relationship with God will also have to translate into the relationship with one another. As a matter of fact, if your relationship with God is good then it cannot be otherwise that your relationship with others is good as well. That you live at peace with your fellow man. That's also how it was with the Lord Jesus. And therefore the Lord Jesus teaches them a lesson here as well. A lesson of humility towards each other. He says to his disciples, Do you understand what I have done for you? Please know that he doesn't say, shame on you. You should have known better. He does not scold them either for not washing each other's feet. No, he remains positive. For he knows that relationships are built only in a positive atmosphere. Our tendency is to come first with a rebuke. To tell people where they are wrong. To tell them where they make their mistake. But such an approach is invariably counterproductive you must come first with the positive that is why Christ says you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am And so he first makes a positive remark to them but then he comes to the point and he tells them why he did what he did he never wants them to forget that lesson He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. 
what he is saying is this. Listen, you recognize me as your great teacher, and so you see me rightly as your Lord and Master. Now then, if I, your Lord and Master, can humble myself in the way that I just did, you certainly can do the same with one another. He commands his disciples, and therefore each and every one of us, always to be ready to wash the feet of our brethren and neighbors. He wants to teach us that we are born for service. Christ came to serve. His life on earth was one of service. As he says in Mark 10 verse 45, For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ's life on earth was a life of humility from his birth to his death. And if you want to be called a Christian, if you want to have part in Christ, you must be imitators of him. Our worth is not measured by how many people we have serving us, but by how many people we serve. The world thinks differently. One of the first questions people ask someone after meeting is about is often about the kind of work he or she does, how much money he makes, or how much education he has. And perhaps that's also how you measure others, and that's human nature. And we think that the greater position a person has on earth, the more people that they have under them to serve them, whether because of superior education or abundance of money, the greater their success and the greater their importance. But how do you think that fits in with the heavenly scheme of things? Do you think that the Lord God is going to ask you those questions? That he's going to ask you how many people you had serving under you? How much money you were able to acquire in life? Well, I think you know better. To our Lord and Savior, such things are not of any importance whatsoever. He will ask us how we have served. How we have served him and how we have served others. With the talents, with the things that he has given us. And that also and especially refers to the office bearers in the church. Oh sure, it is an honor to be an elder and a minister in the church of God. Paul clearly says so to Timothy. But the honor is only due to the fact that a minister and an elder is put in a position of service. In such a position he can serve. He can serve others in the kingdom of God. An office bearer has to wash the feet of his brother. And that, brothers and sisters, is a noble task. An office bearer may be an instrument in the hands of the Lord to cleanse people. How does he do that? Well, by washing them with the word. By speaking to the members of the congregation and to others outside of this church community in such a way that he may convince them of the great message of redemption. The redemption through the blood of Christ. And in this way, he washes them with the word, just as the Lord Jesus himself did when he said in John 15, verse 3, that his disciples are already made clean by the word which he had spoken to them. 
It's also what it says in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. The word of God makes you pure. It cleanses you. That is why it is so important that an office bearer, and for that matter, all of you here, that we think about how we speak to one another and what we say to one another. You speak to one another, first of all, positively, not negatively, not condescendingly. No, you first find positive things to say, for you love one another as God loves you. You have to say kind words, even if you have to bite your lips to do it. Even if you can't think of anything positive to say. Look at the way that the Lord Jesus treated his disciples. He gives that to us as an example. Some people do nothing but complain and try to find fault. Finding fault with each other, finding fault with the teachers finding fault with the other members of the congregation, finding fault with the office bearers. Children who grow up in such a negative environment will also teach their own children later on to do the same thing. Such critical people only make things worse rather than better. They accomplish very little by way of changing others. No, the Lord wants us to wash one another with the word. That means that our rebukes must be couched in positive language. We must be willing to serve one another. When we rebuke others, we must do so in such a way that the other person is built up rather than torn down. And in this way, you reflect the image of God in which we were recreated by Christ. And if that is the way we serve each other, then the Lord will also bless us. In other words, he will make us happy. The words of the Lord Jesus are last words, important words. He wants us to take them to heart. Our eternal happiness is at stake here, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. And so serve one another. Serve God. That was the last lesson that the Lord Jesus wanted to teach his disciples before his death. These are important words. They are the words of life. Amen.